everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Johnny Gibson, who is the voice of the World of Outlaws. If you've ever been to a World of Outlaws race, you've heard this. So that's Johnny Gibson, and today I'm going to sit down with him and ask him how he got to a position where he travels all over the country 90-something times a year. Pretty cool job for an announcer, obviously, and a pretty unique one at that. So recently, the World of Outlaws visited Willamette Speedway in Oregon, which was an hour and a half from my home in Portland, so drove down there to speak with Johnny, and here is our conversation. All right, everybody, I'm here with Johnny Gibson. We're at Willamette Speedway in Oregon. Um, thank you for doing this. First of all, I'm very excited about this. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, so can you describe, obviously, we know that you go all around and you tell everybody that you wanted the best you got them for rest. <laughs> and uh, so I guess, um, what, what do your duties entail as part of your current job? Basically, I am the series announcer. My job is to provide information and help the fans at the racetrack understand and enjoy what they're seeing and to describe everything from the people watching and listening at home on Dirt Vision. And so it's every race. You go into every yes. one. Um, so how did this all start for you? Because um, like, did you grow up as a race fan? Did you grow up wanting to be an announcer? Where, where was this origin? Grew up as a race fan. Never had any thoughts or really any real ideas about being an announcer. Um, started going to races very young in Pennsylvania with my dad, um, met people involved in racing just from being around as a fan, met more people through the people I met originally. And one thing led to another. And I started going to world of outlaws races and helping them sell programs. Um, there was a gentleman named Bill Woodside who was selling the programs at all of the outlaw races. I moved from Pennsylvania to Indianapolis in 1994 and started going to the outlaw races to help Bill sell programs. I had met him through Kevin Eckert, who I met as a race fan. Um, started walking through the stands. Hey, get your program here. It was a way to get into the races for free and maybe make a couple of bucks. And I went to help him at a race at I-96 Speedway in Michigan on the Monday after the Kings Royal in 1995. So that would have been July. And Bill wasn't there. And the uh, outlaw merchandise people said, hey, can you sell the programs tonight? We haven't heard from Bill. We don't know what's going on. Or can you do the whole thing tonight? I'm like, sure, I can do that. And by the end of the night, they said, we still don't know what's going on with Bill. We race Wednesday in Memphis, Houston on Friday, and Devil's Bowl Speedway on Saturday. Can you come and do those races for us? And I really didn't have anything pressing going on at the time. I, I Let me back up just a second. Um, at that point... I was a musician. I was playing in rock bands and Whoa. working like a series of you know day jobs that were pretty much dispensable. If I had a gig come up and had to leave a day job and worry about getting the next one when I came back, that's what I did. What were you playing in the band? I played drums. Wow. Um, and actually, at that time, I wasn't in a band. I had played in bands in Pennsylvania and moved to Indy with the idea of just a change of scenery and, and getting in a different band there. And while that was sort of in the process of happening the outlaw thing sort of happened. Wow. So I decided to go to Memphis and Houston and Dallas to do those races. And by the end of the night, uh, that Friday at Houston, they said, uh, Bill is definitely resigned. Do you want to do the program gig from now on? And so basically it meant traveling with the world of outlaws full time selling programs. And 
thought about it for about a half a second said, uh-huh. sure. So I did that for the remainder of 95 and for all of the 1996 season. Uh, back in 95 and 96, World of Outlaws were televised on TNN. And so when I was done selling programs, I'd go work for the production company and maybe be a spotter for a cameraman or be a runner or whatever. Okay. That's how I met Bobby Gerald, who was doing the pit reporting at the TNN races. And Bobby was also doing a lot of PA announcing in California. So in September of 96, we raced at King Speedway in Hanford, California. And Bobby came up to me before the races. He was on the mic that night and said, when you're done selling programs, come up to the booth. I'd like to do an interview with you about what it's like being on the road with the outlaws and seeing all the races and so on. Yeah. So I went up to the booth and talked to Bobby for a little bit. And one of the things that Bobby had learned about me just from being around me is I had taken notes on the races from the time I was a really little kid. I had just always done that as a way of keeping up with what happened and keeping a little bit of a record of where I'd been and what I'd done. So in the process of this interview, Bobby says, you take notes on all these races, you know these guys, you know the sport. Have you ever thought about being an announcer? And I said, not really. I mean, yeah. and, and Bobby hands me the microphone and says, the first heat race is coming out. Give it a shot. Really? Just like that? Just like that. I had never called a race, never done any announcing, nothing at all like that before. Wow. So I did the one heat race and Carlton Reamers, who is still the series director for World of Outlaws, was at the race that night. He went back and talked to Ted Johnson, the founder and president of the Outlaws, and they decided to make me the announcer. Ted called me into the office like three weeks later and said, we're going to do something different next year, which at the time I thought meant, well, I guess I have to go get a real job (laughs) until he said, you're going to be our announcer. Wow. Um, The Outlaws didn't have a full-time announcer at that point. They just used the track announcers wherever they went. Okay. And a big part of the reason for me being hired full-time had nothing to do with my ability to call a race or anything like that. It was solely for the purpose of making sure the sponsor reads got done at every racetrack because Uh. they had a list of the series sponsors and all of their PA stuff. And sometimes the local announcer wouldn't take care of the sponsors the way that the outlaws wanted them to. And so my original reason for hiring was just to make sure all the sponsor stuff got taken care of. Wow. No kidding. So how did you, I mean, how, cause it seems like you're a total natural. So is this something that you have honed and perfected over that time? Sure. It's, I mean, it's been 22 years now. So yeah. I've, I've kind of developed as I've gone along. The The biggest thing was um, when Ted told me that I was going to be the announcer starting the next year, I spent a lot of time that winter watching the videos that Greg Stevens of Motorsport Video put together with the sound turned down and trying to call the race and, and, and trying to learn. But, I mean, looking back on it now, it is nearly unfathomable, unfathomable to me that a major series like the World of Outlaws took a chance on somebody who had never done any broadcasting or anything like that. But... Again, it was kind of a gradual process where in that first year, there were some nights I did all the announcing. There were some nights where the local announcer still called the races. I just did the sponsor reads. It, it took a while to develop it to the point where it is now. Um, the other thing is for having no experience in that first year, I got what would for most local announcers be five or six years of experience because we were racing a hundred nights. So I was on the mic a hundred nights where a local announcer might do 20 a year if they're lucky. So I got a ton of experience right off the bat. Right. So, um, you know, if, if there's somebody out there who is like, okay, well, gosh, I would love to do that someday. Um, you had such a, a unconventional, uh, unconventional career path. 
where would you recommend, you know, if people wanted to get started, uh, you know, doing some announcing, where, where would they start? Basically, I would say go talk to your local racetrack and see if they have an announcer, if they're looking for someone else, if they know any other tracks that are. Um, it might not be a bad idea, especially with the technology available today, to put together a bit of an audition tape. You know, run a race video and record yourself calling the race over top of it. Just get your name known, even if it's not announcing. If you offer to come and volunteer at the track or work, you know, picking up trash or whatever, be around. That's what happened to me. I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So you, uh, have you had to work on your, you, I feel like you have such a natural voice too. You have a booming like announcer voice. I immediately go like announcer when I see you. Uh, like, did you have that when you were selling programs as well? Or is that Probably something that's, that, yeah, I, okay. I think that, I think that's something that, uh, that, that came from it, you know, being just being out there and Hey, get your program here. And, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not a whole lot of difference. Okay. So what do you think now of like, um, you know, I, I even saw this video recently where um, Kyle Larson had Owen. Owen's playing with his cars and he's imitating <laughs> yep, you. Yep. You know, I mean, that's got to feel kind of cool. It, it is. It, it, it seems so surreal at times. I mean, this is just kind of me and what I do. And it doesn't really strike me that people you know, recognize it or it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I do anything special. I'm just the luckiest race fan in the world. I get to see the best sprint car drivers night after night and I get to talk about it. Yeah. So why, uh, you know, what is it that you loved so much about this where you thought once, once you got in this role, you thought this is, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do and not, uh, you know, cause I'm sure there's other things you could have gone. I'm sure you were approached by other people over the years, but it seems like you really love this. It, it is. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, other career paths may have been an option. I've definitely been contacted by other forms of motorsports, but this is where my passion is. This is what I love. I'm not a NASCAR person. I couldn't tell you who the NASCAR champion last year was. I don't really watch it. I mean, I, wow. I understand that there are a lot of people love it and that's fine for them. I've been to NASCAR races. It just, it doesn't thrill me like the sprint cars do. And I think if anything, what I bring to the announcing is my passion for sprint car racing. And I think if I tried to do anything else, that passion wouldn't be there. And in the very worst case scenario, I'd be faking it. And I don't ever want to be accused of that. Right. So um, part of this genuine enthusiasm, as I mentioned, I, I just feel like it's not a real World of Outlaws race if, if you're not doing the four wide salute thing. How long have you been saying like that same uh, catchphrase before these races? <sighs> I honestly don't know. Again, it, it evolved over the first couple of years. I'd say probably by the end of the second or sometime during my third season is when I kind of started to coalesce what I do for the four wide. And uh -huh. then I've added little bits and pieces here and there. I, I, I will admit that the often imitated, never duplicated part of it came during 2006 when the NST was a rival sanctioning organization. So it was okay. kind, of, kind of a little bit of a dig at them. You were trolling them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Before anybody knew what trolling really was. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's great. Um, so my, my, my other question would be because you are having to react so quickly to things that are in front of you, you're having to see things with your brain, process them, and then have it come out in an announcer way. Uh, have you ever like messed up really big? Oh, or absolutely. <laughs> I mean, any announcer will, especially in a high speed environment like this. I, I say this probably in more of a joking way than I should, but I probably have the only job where having a little bit of ADD kind of helps because I, 
I, I do process things rather quickly. I talk quickly and this is just my normal way of talking. It's not the way I call races. If you talk to me on a you know, Thursday afternoon away from the racetrack, I still probably talk like this. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I just, I, I, I kind of have this ability to, to look at something, decide what I'm going to say about it while looking for the next thing that I'm going to talk about. Um, and again, maybe it's just the fact that I've grown up around sprint car racing and I've gotten used to watching races in a certain way. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, um, can you just tell close by telling us something about like your life? Because I think that your life on the road constantly, you probably never really get to go home much. Actually, um, my home is now parked on the outside of turn two here. Uh, I lived in Minneapolis for four years most recently and then decided to get a nice motor home and live in the motor home year round. The last apartment I had in Minneapolis, I was home 89 nights that year. Wow. So it didn't really make sense to, I, I was I was in the process of, of moving. I was going to look for a different apartment, and I found a really cool place, like right in downtown Minneapolis, walking distance from Target Center and all, all that kind of stuff. And then I started to think about the money I was going to pay for it and the amount of time that I'd be there. And I thought, you know, for that kind of money, I could actually put that toward a really nice motor home and be able to have home with me all the time. And I wish I would have done it 20 years ago. I, wow. I, I really enjoy that. That's That's made it new and fresh for me again after 20 years of traveling up and down the road and you know with a little variation but for the most part seeing the same places and the same thing year after year and that's why it's really cool to be able to to go and do things with people who are maybe out on the road for the first time and see things through their eyes they see something that you've seen year after year and and, and don't really really recognize anymore but to somebody with fresh eyes they're like oh this is so cool and then you remember yeah, that is pretty cool. I just kind of take it for granted now. Yeah. Um, but as far as like uh, about my life, um, again, I am just the luckiest race fan in the world. I get to go to races and talk about it and drive down the road and go do it again. Wow. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Your, your passion for this is absolutely contagious and your enthusiasm. So really appreciate you taking a time out on race day like this. I appreciate you inviting me and I uh, hope you have fun tonight watching some sprint car racing. Thank you. All right, everybody. So there you have it. That is Johnny Gibson and what a cool life he has. A uh, very unique one. And, um, appreciative of him taking the time on race day. He has a lot of stuff to set up. I think he said they get there like 10 AM to start setting their equipment up and testing things and running through things, even for like a 6, 6 PM, 7 PM show. So, um, appreciate him taking the time to speak with me. And, uh, obviously he doesn't know about NASCAR very much. So I didn't know who I was, but, um, I was glad we got to record the interview anyway. So this week it's off to Richmond raceway, not Richmond International Raceway anymore. I'm finally saying it correctly. Richmond Raceway, where they have a renovated infield and garage and media center. And so I will be coming to you from that track Saturday night after the race. We will see what happens in race number two of the playoffs. And we'll see if it was as crazy as the first one in Las Vegas. So that will be posted sometime late Saturday night. Although you may not be able to listen to it till Sunday morning because I imagine that many people will not be staying up that late. But I will try to have it to you as soon as possible after the race. Anyway, if you're listening to this on iTunes and you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review for the podcast, if you enjoy it, that would be very helpful. I think it helps other people find the podcast. So um, I would appreciate you doing that. Either way, I appreciate you listening. And I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Clark Podcast. Thank you.